Everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. Happy holidays, everyone. Big Dave Lemon here with another edition of Poker Action Line. And as is our usual custom, we record best of shows to finish out the year, the last couple of weeks, so that our staff can spend time with their families, not have to travel up to the studio and put together shows. So normally we use excerpts from the previous year. So instead of this year using something from 2019, now that the show is advancing to its 10-year anniversary, we would like to go back a little farther and pull out some great shows and let you hear them and see how things have changed over the years. Our first show tonight is an interview we did with Jared Tendler, who is a mental game coach for the poker world. And has written a couple of books, and uh, we talked to him back in 2014 about preparations for the World Series and how to improve your mental game around the world of poker. Now, a lot of people downplay the importance of that, thinking that uh, hand choices, openings, and that sort of thing are much more important. But uh, when you listen to this show, you'll learn a lot, and you'll find out the importance of uh, really being in the right mental state to succeed in poker. Jared Tendler, two books that he's written on the mental side of the game and has helped hundreds of players over the years on the road to success. And we talked to him back in 2014. Okay, welcome back to the show. Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez. Our special guest tonight, Jared Tendler, who's uh, written a couple of books and has been uh, probably the top expert in The Mental Side of Poker, which is the name of both of his books, Mental Side of Poker and Mental Side of Poker 2. Uh, Jared, thanks for coming on with us tonight. We uh, appreciate it. I know you probably do a lot of interviews, whether you're uh, on one side of the mic or the other, but we appreciate you taking a little time with us tonight. (laughs) Thanks, Dave and Joe. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you guys. Well, I stumbled upon uh, your podcast earlier this week, and I just remembered that uh, you know I'd been wanting to have you on for about two years and never really made the effort to reach out to you. Uh, but uh, I thought the time was right because one of our favorite guests, Jason Mercier, was on your podcast a couple of weeks ago. And uh, as it turns out, Shannon Shore was on about a month ago, and he just finished second in the Lucky Hearts Open right here in our town down here in South Florida. So uh, uh, you're right on top of the action. The guys are getting a little run good from uh, talking with me, perhaps. <laughs> well, I haven't had uh, Shannon on, but I definitely will try to have him now. But uh, how did you enjoy talking with Jason? I mean, he's one of the top players in the in the game. I mean, it's it's great to be able to talk to him uh, and and kind of get inside the mind of, of somebody like that. Um, he has an incredible drive and competitive edge, and. You know, I've been talking. I've been fortunate enough to talk to uh, him and, and and Shannon and and a few other top players recently, and they all are kind of cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. And it's true with some of, some of the clients that I work with, and it's true of some of the the golfers that I work with in the past, and and other people that are, you know, at the the elite level for what they do. And there really is a difference between what they're uh, how they're thinking at the tables, the the, the drive, the passion. The, the the work ethic that they have compared with with people who are not there and yes there's definitely talent uh, but there's some, there's just something that they do differently and and Jason is a is a prime example of that absolutely uh, last your last show was with Chris Moneymaker so uh, all the stars of the game have been on the Jared Tendler show <laughs> uh, great as I to said, hear I've had, a, I've had a little run good myself lately. very good very good uh, let's talk about how you got into this whole thing. Um, I guess you're not really a psychologist, are you? But uh, well, I, I'm you do a, have your I'm master's a licensed in therapist. I, I can't call myself a psychologist because I don't okay. have a PhD. But I'm, I'm I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I have a, a license to practice uh, 
traditional therapy, but I've used it more in the performance realm. Now, you started in golf on the LPGA and the LPGA tours, uh, working with a lot of players, and I can see the, the attachment there. I'm actually from a golf family myself. My father, before he passed away, was a teaching professional, and I actually played and worked at, in the pro shop at a club for five years. So uh, I'm very involved in golf, and I can see the, the relationship between golf and poker and some of the things that you would probably do similar in both. I mean, if you go to uh, a, a poker tournament and you listen to people talking about their hand, their bust-out hands after you know uh, busting out of a tournament or complaining about their cash games, it's not that much different than going to the 19th hole and listening to people complain about their golf games. It's it is remarkably similar how uh, the the psychology of uh, the, it, the psychology of both games is remarkably similar and. What what was interesting to me was how quickly I made the transition into poker from golf, and it was aided by uh, my first poker client, who happened to actually be a former professional golfer, Dusty Schmidt. Okay. And and so you know he kind of helped me kind of learn the ropes, but I learned very very quickly that that the only difference between poker and golf was kind of just what you did. It's it's they're obviously very very different games, but the the psychological components are almost identical. And and I think in looking in some retrospect. Uh, golfers severely underestimate just how much luck there is in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you go out and shoot 86 one day, you know, you're kind of like a mid-range handicap golfer. Uh, you could shoot 79, you could shoot 92, and, and those would all be kind of within the realm without you playing that much differently between those rounds. Exactly. You know, you make a couple putts here, you know, you're, you're not in, in uh, you know, some tougher uh, positions off the tee because ball, the way the ball bounces... Win. I mean, there's just so many factors to it, and I don't think players, I don't think golfers really understand that. So, poker players have to, but there still does that still doesn't necessarily make them good at it either, considering how much uh, people complain about bad beats and and bad runs and whatnot. Well, something I read about today that makes you my hero is uh, <laughs> you were in Puerto Rico and you actually got to teach uh, Juan Lu a little bit about golf, which uh, which which makes you a hero in my book. Yeah, <laughs> she's a great guy. We had a we had a lot of fun, and you know, talk about competitive nature, man. She, I would not want to play many sports against her. I can uh, imagine. I can imagine that. She's yeah. a great player. Uh, from people who don't know, I don't even know where she is. She from China or is she from Taiwan? I'm not. I think sure. she's from China originally, and and is sim- since um, I think at a pretty young age she moved to the U.S. Uh, anyway, very beautiful girl, tough player. Uh, so uh, you can put that on your golf resume, I guess. As a, as a teacher, <laughs> the, her, fir- her first instructor. Now, how did you switch over into poker? Really, did you just see a niche there and you said, uh, "I'm not going to be any bigger than Bob Rotella, so uh, I'm getting into another sport"? No, I, I I I still had aspirations to be as big as Bob Rotella, but I was 26. Okay. And you know, just kind of a baby, really, and. I saw how long of a grind it was going to be. Um, I was willing to go for it, but then I just sort of saw this poker thing, and I didn't kind of immediately jump into poker. Uh, after I worked with Dusty, it was about four or five months later that he invited me to be part of a, an online training site and kind of slowly was getting more and more into it. And as I got more into it, I saw that there literally was no Bob Rotella in poker. Okay. So it gave me an avenue to really work with a lot of players um, and and really establish uh, myself at that level, and and so I kind of it, it was funny because at the time I was also considering actually playing professional golf. I had, um, you know, was still working with with golf clients, but I had always dreamt of playing professional golf. And at the time that the that poker really became a lot more viable, um, I actually, ironically enough, saw that as as the lower risk option <laughs> that <laughs> that uh, golf and trying to play professional golf what is going to cost several hundreds of thousands of dollars and i mean i didn't have it so i was gonna have to raise money and there's a whole process to that and uh yeah i mean poker i i really i genuinely love coaching uh and so it, it gave me an opportunity to do that and and I feel like I made the right choice. Well, I, I can see the uh, relationship there also between the amount of work that needs to be put in, the repetition, the, the physicality, and, and really working hard at your game in both golf and poker to get really good at it. So uh, there is a similarity there as well. Uh, the site, by the way, is called uh, Jared Poker. Uh, I'm sorry, JaredTendlerPoker.com. People can check that out. You do give uh, classes to teach. Uh, I guess probably on. Uh, 
an individual basis as far as, uh, you know, maybe one or two sessions. And then uh, there's probably the people who sign up for long term and uh, you see them on a monthly basis. Uh, how does that work? Yeah, it's it's generally all customized. So I have clients that come do one session. You know, they don't really have kind of big needs for what I do. Um, and then I've got clients that I see, you know, frequently for several years. Um, the, and I, again, not ironically enough, the ones that I see for much longer and see more frequently are the the bigger and higher stakes players. And I think that's twofold: one, they can afford it, and two, they're also committed. They have like a relentless pursuit of improving their weaknesses. Um, so it really does depend. I'd say on average, you know, the like the low to mid stakes players that I work with, you know, we'll do three, four sessions and and you know, kind of give them the ability to uh, to continue to make continue to make progress on their own. Uh, I'm a big believer in teaching people how to fish, not just giving them fish. Mm-hmm. So my books and my coaching are really about empowering and giving people the tools they need, not just to solve their immediate mental game problems uh, or make their mental game better but to understand kind of the inner workings of the mind in a very simplistic, sort of straightforward way that allows them to make improvements on their own in the future. So, you know, in the future when they realize that they actually have another form of tilt that, you know, they were dealing with injustice tilt, for example, and then all of a sudden this one particular opponent keeps kind of getting the better of them, and all of a sudden they're now feeling this revenge and desire to uh, to play back at them and be very aggressive that, that they can recognize that and understand how to fix it because they have already fixed uh, another form of tilt before. Okay. Just one more question about your background. Do you play much poker yourself? Do you have any big scores on your resume and that sort of thing? Uh, big scores, zero. Okay. Um, Join the club. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the amount of playing that I do is is also pretty minimal. I mean, I play for fun. I know enough to be dangerous. Um, but for the most part, it's, it is a, a, a hobby that I put... Um, no direct effort in getting better other than um, to uh, to just enjoy the game, which is pretty much what it is. So I would consider myself to be a, well, I'm a scratch golfer, uh, sometimes a <laughs> plus one or plus two when I'm playing more, um, but I am a 35, Novice. 40 handicap poker player. Okay, That's a little dangerous there. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, do you feel like if you had something on your resume, it would be better for your business or would actually detract from it? Um, you know, I, I honestly haven't given it much thought. I don't know. I, I, um, I can't see how it would hurt for me to have some big success in poker. But um, at this point, I, I really do understand that for me to, to get as good at poker as I would want to be would take the same kind of commitment that I decided Absolutely. not to put into golf. Mm-hmm. And, and that my commitment really is, is in pursuit of me just getting better as a coach. And uh, I spend anywhere between like two and ten hours a week like actually working on my own game myself um so that's where my passion lies now and that's where my pursuit is so um from for like really what it would take for me to get good at poker other than just kind of banking a tournament which i don't think would would really do anything um i'm just really not willing to put the time in because it would take away from what i really am passionate about okay the full name of the first book the mental game of poker proven strategies for improving tilt control, confidence, motivation, coping with variance, and more. I think that really covers it right there, some of the mental things that you work with people on. I mean, obviously, some people have tremendous problem with tilt, get angry in tournaments, take a bad bead, and then just spew off all their chips. you got other people that uh, are just wondering, well, in fact, Jason said this to us uh, one time on the show, maybe I, I went through a period where maybe I thought I, I, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. So yeah. that's important to work with people there. Motivation, obviously, uh, trying to improve your game and working hard at it. Some people have a problem with that. And then the variance, always the up and downs of the game and more. Exactly, exactly. The, it, to me, the, the four pillars of, of, um, of the mental game are, are, are there, except one more, which is uh, fear and anxiety. Mm. Um, and the reason I didn't put that on the cover is because a lot of poker players don't really recognize fear or anxiety as a problem. Um, but it's a major one. And part of the reason they haven't recognized it as a problem is because uh, before I came into poker five, six years ago, most players define tilt as anything less than playing their best. So they could be drunk, they could be distracted, they could be watching TV. If they made a boneheaded play, um, 
for any reason they were on tilt. And, and if you have that as your definition, then fear really isn't part of the equation. But there's a lot of people who get in really big spots. They've moved up in stakes. They're playing their first final table. They're playing up against a named pro. And, and their mind kind of tenses up, almost like you'd, you'd tense up if you had a, a five-foot putt to, uh, to win a match. Um, and, and, and so that, that tension um, is, a, is a symptom of fear, a symptom of, of anxiety. And, and you, know, you mentioned Jason having doubts. Well, doubt uh, can, can turn into anxiety uh, and, and create performance problems where uh, you're overthinking certain situations, your mind actually freezes and just goes completely blank. Uh, and so that's that's the other uh, part of the the mental game equation. Uh, Jared, I wanted to ask you when your clients uh, go to see you, and obviously they're working on the mental aspects of their games, whatever whatever they feel their leaks are, wherever they need improvement. By any chance, do they also, you know, once they once they get into a session with you? Look to see if if you can help them maybe recognize when someone else, one of their opponents, is not playing at the at the top of their mental game to the point where they could take advantage of it. You know, like kind of turn the table, sort of. Yeah, definitely. No, I, that that's kind of like the graduated. That's how I know when when a player's really kind of gone on to the next step. When you can really step outside yourself and see another player's issues, it means that you're kind of no longer consumed by your own, and, and that's an important step to get to. So, yeah, it definitely happens, and I can't say that I'm an expert in being able to help others recognize it, um, but I'm an expert in being able to help them to figure out how to gain that information when they're at the tables, you know, because I'm not an expert at, at sitting at the table, you know, whether it's live or online, and, and really, you know, kind of understanding that dynamic, but I know how to kind of push the right buttons to get people to figure it out. Now, a lot of your techniques seem to come from physical training things that have been successful in the past and basically flip-flopping them to the mind and addressing uh, mental issues. Is that not the case? It is, yeah. And I, th- I think that's been a big problem for why sports psychology and, and even traditional psychology or, or therapy have failed people in the past. Now, of course, I'm not saying all of it is a failure, but... Um, when when you present ideas like let's say being confident uh, in a way that makes it seem very simplistic, like well you're not confident as Jason was, he's having some doubts. Well, just be confident. You know you're a great player. Like that, that what you're doing is you're kind of underestimating the fact that that confidence is like a muscle. It's not like a state of mind that you can just kind of call up like like flicking on a on a, on a light switch. And so if you're going to treat it like a muscle, then it has to be trained like a muscle. And that's, in actuality, how it happens. So uh, I think a big part of, of what, I have, what, what has led to my success in, in working with a lot of clients and, and why people have enjoyed the books is because it looks at learning as a fundamental component of the mental game and an understanding that, that if you're not confident, if you're dealing with tilt, you have to actually train the corrections to those problems and, and really have them sink in. You can make immediate improvements. But the question is, are those improvements going to last over the long term? Are they going to hold up under pressure? When I was playing golf and trying to make it uh, both in college and, and, and afterwards, uh, be, dealing with, with pressure was my biggest failing. I, I choked trying to qualify for the U.S. Open back in 97, uh, shot, played one of the best rounds of my life, tee to green, shot 71, uh, which was even par, missed a playoff by one shot, um, except that I four-putted, uh, sorry, I three-putted four times from within three feet. Wow. Missing some short putts. So, so <laughs> I, like, the pressure overwhelmed me. Now, I had done the work in sports psychology, and, and it improved my, my golf game in every other situation except under extreme pressure. So what good was it? It, right. it, it failed because it didn't give – I was not considering the training that needed to go on where it was predictable. Like, it was predictable that it was going to fail under a bigger circumstance because you need more skill. You need more mental skill to be able to perform there. Had I understood that, I would have taken that failure in a, in a much different light. I would have had less fear in the future uh, and would have been able to just work harder at, at the training. So y- you've got to really look at the mental game like it is a muscle, like you're training something, uh, like you're training your golf swing. Uh, and, and if you do that, then um, your progress is going to be a lot more sustainable over the long term. 
Uh, I had to laugh when I saw the uh, the skeptic that you dealt with. You had that uh, video. Uh, I don't remember if it was on your site or on possibly on the card player or something like that. But the fellow from Sky Poker uh, was a complete skeptic and said, yep. you know, if people are in this position where they're whining and crying and they need mental help, uh, they just need a smack in the face. <laughs> and that's, that's the that old was, school. That was funny, but, uh, you know, uh, what you deal with really is a lot of common sense, is it not? I mean, uh, when, when when I read your articles and things, you know, it was just like, yeah, that's, you know, that, I didn't really think about that, but uh, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? And, uh, and uh, you need somebody to point out the obvious things to you for the most part. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you see it that way. <laughs> and uh, what I will say is that it takes a lot of work to make things absolutely. that obvious and that simple. No, so. absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, but people... Uh, uh, people say, I could do this what he does, and the truth is, they can't, but you have uh, really developed uh, this way of looking at things that I think is, is so easily understandable, because people mm. can be above that uh, when they're talking down to people as a, in a psychological manner. I appreciate that. I mean, that's, that's, that is a real true compliment for me, because that's what I take pride in, is really trying to, to make it as simple and digestible as possible, because... I think a lot of it is esoteric and fluffy and and just not really as powerful. And uh, I want it to be relatable. I want it to be easily consumable and not something that that demands like going to see a therapist or a professional like me. I mean, I, I I know for a fact that I've lost a lot of business because of my books, but I know that there's a lot of people out there who are having success. So, I mean, money is not the be all end all for me. I mean, having uh, feedback like what you just gave to me and and hearing from from people who have read the book is is tremendous for me. I, I I take a lot of pride in that. Well, the customers that you find, obviously, it's someone that definitely has huge goals in mind. First of all, to take it to that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, it could be good friends that want to encourage somebody, but don't don't really know how to help them. Know that they have certain problems with the mental side of the game and need a, a professional to uh, help them along. Uh, do you ever run into people that? You just know after a few lessons you can't help them. Yes. And and sometimes it's because they're they're just not ready. Um I've had clients that have been like that and have come back a couple years later and and they and they were ready. Um you know, my my success is is absolutely dependent on people being ready to to really admit that they've got problems and be willing to do the work. Uh the ones who've showed up and and were not ready, they they one example is is we're unwilling to really kind of believe that their problems could be fixed, and it was kind of a strange thing to, to be reaching out for help, but at the same time, kind of really being very like almost rigidly skeptical. And there's nothing there's nothing I can do about that. I mean, I I'm I'm not a magician, so yeah, people have to be ready. And I think the 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 big way that I take away a lot of the resistance from wanting to do this work is to realize that every single person from Phil Ivey down to the newest beginner in poker has weaknesses, both mentally and tactically, because that is a factual reality. No one is perfect. Although they may seem like it on TV, everyone has weaknesses. Right. So if you understand that, then all of a sudden, understanding your own weaknesses no longer becomes a problem because you start to realize that what, what distinguishes Phil Ivey and some of the greats, Jason Mercier included, is that they are not only um, uh, recognizing their weaknesses, but they're constantly working on them. That's what makes them better. If you improve your weaknesses, you automatically get better. You know, sometimes in improving your strengths doesn't guarantee you're get, you get better because if your weaknesses stay really bad, <laughs> then whatever gains you get on the front end in improving yourself right. get offset by you know the the two buy-ins that you blow you know ten minutes later. So, improving your weaknesses is is almost a guaranteed way of getting better and. Uh, if you embrace that reality mentally and tactically, then there's really no risk in, in, in starting to work on it. We're talking with Jared Tendler, probably the top mental game coach for the world of poker. has two books, Mental Game of Poker and Mental Game of Poker 2. Uh, what happens when someone hears about your book, maybe picks it up in the bookstore, reads a couple of paragraphs, maybe uh, comes across your website, someone mentions it to them on Twitter. What happens when you meet them for the first time? Is there like a uh, kind of a sit-down to decide what they need and whether you're going to be able to help them? Oh, you mean if they come to me for a, like a client session? Yes. 
they fill out a pretty detailed questionnaire. It's 30 questions, um, and sometimes I get 10 pages back, and yeah, sometimes less. But mm. it's, a, it's very detailed. It's very intricate because what I've learned over time is that when, when people come to me and we start talking about what's going on, what their issues are, et cetera, they are terrible at actually giving me the information I need. They go in tangents. They go this way. They go that way. They don't, they don't, they don't remember what what happened. So you know, two sessions go by, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I, I told you about that, right?" And I'm like, "No, that changes. It changes everything." So, so we I get all the vital information up front, and then I can be in the driver's seat uh, from, and we can kind of hit the ground running from the first session, and we just go. And the sessions are very intensive. People, you know, kind of wonder like, like, what are we going to talk about for an hour? I'm like. We will find stuff, believe me, and <laughs> and it gets it gets really detailed because uh, the more detailed you have an under, the more of a detailed understanding you have about the problem, the more detailed you can create a, a solution. And generally, they're better that way. If you have a really kind of general strategy, it could work, it could not. There's more risk involved. It's almost like a like a a higher variance play. We take out a lot of the risk by adding in that all that detail. So. They come to me well-prepared. I prepare myself. I take about 45 minutes to an hour uh, reading through that questionnaire and establishing kind of an, an initial plan, and then we kind of get right to it. I would think if you're anything at all like me that you have trouble at an hour cutting it off, you probably <laughs> would, could do uh, two, three hours with somebody in the initial visit, really, to try to see what direction you want to go in. You certainly could. The problem is that that, that hour, um, I only extend out to an hour and a half because it's so intensive that if we go beyond that, your memory is going to be so bad that what we talked about at the beginning is going to go away, and yeah, you know, yeah. two weeks later, it's like it's just not going to stick. And so, so the coaching is designed to actually go a little bit slower than some people might think would be would be effective um, for the purposes of learning, because your mind just can't absorb that much. So, I've had people come to me and saying exactly what you just said, like let's do a three-hour session to start, and I say no. We're going to do an hour, hour and a half today, and we'll talk in a week. You know, because you need time to actually absorb and really think about it, because right. it's far too complex to really kind of get. So I would never ever do like an all-day training with somebody. It would be a complete waste of their time and mine. Plus, you don't want to cut into any future paydays. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. Uh, can you uh, stick around for a little bit more? I wanted to get into a couple of specific things on uh, what you teach. If we can do that, if we got, if you got another ten minutes or so. Let's do it. Okay. We'll take a break here on the show. We'll come back with Jared Tendler. Uh, truly interesting stuff. Having a great time. And we'll talk with Jared some more when we come back. You're listening to Poker Action Line. Big, J- Big Dave Lemon, Joe Rodriguez. And we'll be right back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave Lemon, and I want to let all you avid poker players know about an exciting new product being developed by one of our sponsors, the owners of the American School of Poker. This concept could give you the opportunity to play poker online through a game provided by your local state lottery in the very near future. Of course, uh, the future for national regulation of online poker is pretty dim at this point, so individual states have been and will throughout 2013 be looking to develop their own interstate games. Now, a perfectly legal option is being discussed with several states by our sponsor, and it's an option that could be presented as a new lottery game with no financial transactions on the Internet. The lottery customer can go to one of their local retail outlets and purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many online Texas Hold'em poker tables with a yet-to-be-determined chip stack. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like and try to take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes. Now, if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. And with regular lottery games, the same situation, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket will stand on its own merit, and much like regular lottery tickets, you may not combine the result with other tickets. The name of this game is Place Your Chips, and you can access a live demonstration of the game at placeyourchips.com, or you can check it out on our new mobile phone app on the Android phones called the Place Your Chips Lottery Game, and it will soon be in the iPhone store known as the App Store. So that will be available all over the world. But this is for U.S. lotteries to try to pick up a game that will benefit them and be great for everybody who wants to participate in online poker. Now, we believe that when this is established, there will be a heavy demand 
for this game. And this is where we need your help to show these state lotteries that the demand is there. You can call or tweet or email the lottery office in your state to let them know what you would like to see as far as this game being implemented. Join the fun with millions of avid poker players and help us convince the lottery in your state that you want to place your chips. Hey, Dad, how do you throw a curveball? How do you build a fort? How do refrigerators run? How do fish learn how to swim? Kids ask a lot of questions. How high can you jump? But you don't have to know every answer. How many phone numbers are there? Because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. How do cell phones work? There are thousands of children in foster care who don't need every question answered. What's electricity? They just need you. What's the moon made of? For more information on how you can adopt, go to AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad... Welcome back to the show. We continue with Jared Tendler, one of the top uh, mental game coaches in the game of poker. And uh, would you say that, Jared, uh, there's dozens of mental game teachers out there, probably just a select few, wouldn't you say? Uh, you mean specifically in poker? Yeah. I only know of a handful. And Sam Chowen, I think, is is pretty well known, right? I don't see him around in poker anymore. Yeah, um, me either. He... Um, yeah, I, I I have not heard anything from him for a couple of years. I think he was doing something in real estate recently. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Can you get into some kind of negative situation with some of your people where maybe they feel like you didn't help them as much as they thought you were going to, and they get out there and blast you in the Twitter and things like that? Because there are negative parts to working with some of these people. Um, do you mean, do you mean working with people like me? Or, yeah, or no, working with, with certain poker players? Certain poker players that, that might, uh, I mean, is there a negative downside to what you do? I mean, I've been very fortunate that that my my clientele has been um, been great. I mean, I think people have the opportunity to really find out a lot about me through the interviews, from my books, my articles, and you know all the stuff that I put out there. So I think generally the people that come to me come to me because they want to. And uh, I honestly, it's been years since I've seen a negative review, and and the last one that I recall seeing about three years ago was. Again, somebody who just wasn't ready, and he ended up working with somebody else who had he, he had success with. It wasn't like I didn't. It wasn't like I didn't. Uh, I didn't hurt his game. I just didn't help him as much as he wanted to, and he got help from somebody else, and and there it was. So it's it was no sort of skin off my back, and I was happy that he found somebody uh, that he got results. So now, how many players are you working with currently? Would you say are on an active rotation of uh, players that you're helping right at this moment? Uh. Right at this moment, and generally over the last year, year and a half, I work with between 30 to 35 a month. Okay. And over the course of uh, the time you've been doing this, probably I would say 500 or more players that you've helped? I mean, not individually. Certainly, um, I've done like larger seminars, uh -huh. um, so the numbers like that would get get you know much larger and certainly i mean it's unfair to talk about like book numbers or right. you know podcast numbers like that but yeah like on a one-on-one -on -one basis uh, around 350 well people that you never know have used your books or, or taken your advice uh, i mean we got to be in the thousands but uh, i would say when you watch tournaments uh, you follow tournaments which i'm sure you do you go to the world mm -hmm. series every year uh that anytime you get to a final table you probably had someone that you've worked with before <laughs> it's certainly possible i mean uh, I, I can tell you that um, I've had a couple clients make final tables and, and win some. Um, you know, Max Steinberg and um, uh, Ben Wonofsky have won uh, won big tournaments. Um, okay. uh, actually, Max's brother Danny uh, reached the World Series of Poker final table two years in a row. Or actually, there was a one year break because he actually wasn't playing poker for a while. Um, and I actually had a guy at the world at the main event this year. Um, who I didn't coach, he just read the book, who gave me a, a bit of a shout-out, which was which was really cool. I was just watching the action, and all of a sudden, they said something like, um, uh, this guy was, his name was uh, Vinny, Vinny Ha, I think was his name, um, uh, said, uh, yeah, my big credits to the mental game of poker uh, really helped me a lot, and I was it was like jaw-dropping. <laughs> I was wow, like, oh my God, cool. I just that's cool. heard the name of the book on TV. It was, yeah, uh, it was, cool. was pretty surreal and really cool. Well, we mentioned the first book. You came out with a second one called uh, Mental Game of Poker 2, Proven Strategies for Improving Poker Skill, Increasing Mental Endurance, and Playing in the Zone Consistently. Uh, what drove you to write the second book? The second book was actually conceptualized the f when I was writing the first book, and I just realized that the first book was getting far too long, and that the material was so different that it, it sort of deserved like its own uh, opportunity to kind of be 
uh, presented. So the first book is really about mental game problems, tilt, fear, confidence issues, motivational issues. The second book sort of presumes that you either have made improvements in those areas or you never had anything major in the first place and then looks to try to take your game to the next level. So, you know, the the second title kind of says it all, but it's really designed to try to get you to be at your best more often. And that also includes helping you to make better decisions more frequently, not from a poker strategy standpoint, but more from looking at the actual act of making a poker decision as a technique okay. and, and thinking about it like something that you would train, like a golf swing. Uh, focus being like a muscle, something, again, that you train and really try to amplify. Uh, and, of course, then trying to get you to learn more efficiently, increasing endurance, and, and more things related to improving performance and not really about solving problems. Okay. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is that, obviously, old habits die hard, and that's, uh, that's kind of a cornerstone of what you do is not only to... Uh, come up with new uh, ways to deal with problems, but to get rid of the old. So that's kind of where you have to start with a lot of people, right? It really is. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't understand the retraining process, which is why New Year's resolutions fail year after year. Mm-hmm. Everybody comes in with a lot of inspiration to the new year. They say, oh, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to lose weight. But what they don't realize is that their bad habits are still in them. <laughs> they, just because the, just because the, the calendar turned to another year doesn't mean that your ingrained habits are gone. And so what ends up happening is as that inspiration sort of slows down, what what pops back up, the old dirty habits. So so the actual resolution of those habits is something that you have to take on, head on. And so I would rather people have actually less optimism, more, more practicality from the beginning of the year, uh, and saying, you know what, this is what I want. It's going to be hard. Here are the things that I've got to actually fix on a day-to-day, kind of in-the-trenches way. So when I have, let's say, that urge to smoke, uh, that I actually am, am um, uh, uh, counteracting it in, you know, in that moment and not just assuming that that urge isn't even going to be there. I mean, that's completely delusional. For, for the reality of how uh, bad habits go away. They're not just going to go away because you said so. Right. Uh, in fact, you did write an article about how people should be able to uh, deal with their and achieve their New Year's resolutions. Uh, you wrote it a, a couple of years ago, but uh, it's obviously great every year about this time as people are not able to fill fulfill their promises that they made to themselves, and uh, you have some good uh, just common sense stuff on, on things to do to prepare ahead of time for that. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the most complex thing to do. You just have to be, as you said, well prepared. So I think the big one is actually preparing for those moments where it's going to be difficult. So you're not just kind of blind to this just kind of going very easily. You're saying here are the three or four really tough situations where let's say it's it's food you know where you're going to have really strong cravings like what are you going to do differently and how are you going to actually do that so so after you define what you're going to do the the how you're going to the how you're going to do it sometimes is is reminding yourself of why this is important people generally know what they want but they don't always know all the reasons why and if you look at an athlete when they're under pressure or you know a team is down it's in the late stages and, and they're, they're kind of trying to battle back, you'll hear a phrase that they dig deep. You have to dig deep in this moment to pull out a reason for why it matters that you're changing the way that you eat. And if it's for health reasons, then that's what it is. And, you, and then you're, you're trying to connect that to something real and tangible so that you can fight against that urge. And you have to be prepared to lose that, that battle and, and to know how to recover from it because if, if you're going to do this right, you're not going to be perfect at it. So there's going to be a lot of instances where you fail to, to break that urge uh, to uh, avoid eating uh, whatever it is, dessert late at night. Or, you know, if we're talking in poker terms, solving a tilt problem, there's going to be times where you tilt. And, and you've got to know how to learn from your mistakes and, and, and be able to be better at it the second time around. And uh, achieving New Year's resolutions, fixing tilt, you know, they're they're not wholly different things. It's it's just a difference of what you're actually trying to achieve. Jared, I was uh I loved your your idea when you mentioned that the brain you gotta treat it like a muscle and uh you know and I would imagine that you've designed for your specific clientele uh exercise uh brain exercises that will help them 
you know, develop the brain like a muscle so it gets stronger and better. Is it a specific design for each client? Is it a general? And the other question real quick was, is there one that you could share with us that, uh, you know, our listeners and selfishly including myself could, uh, <laughs> could use uh, to help in, in, in trying to improve our, our poker game? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would I would say that uh, I'll give you a general strategy as I'll give to everybody, um, and that's generally what I start with with my clients, and then we become it, it gets more personalized. But the overall system is always the same as far as like how to do it, and then the personalization becomes in the specifics of how it gets implemented. So the general strategy um, is that you first have to recognize uh, the situation. Now, recognition is obvious in poker. You know. You don't have to call out the idea that you can spot, let's say, a profitable s- situation to three bet. Uh, that recognition comes through your through skill, through knowledge. You, I can't see profitable three betting spots uh, like you can because you have more poker skill. I can see profitable spots, or uh, what we'll call profitable spots, to be aware of tilt better than you can because I'm I have I'm more well trained. So, so the number one thing you've got to do is get better at recognizing the subtle instances of the problem you're trying to address, whether it be trying to avoid eating, whether it be uh, dealing with anxiety or tilt. You have to recognize those signs, and they come in the form of thoughts, emotions, like actual feelings that you have in your body, uh, or they can be changes in your play. You might become more aggressive. You might become more timid. You want to really kind of map that out, write it out, not just keep it in your head. And the reason is because you need to study it. So the brain exercise here is about acquiring knowledge for your pattern. Uh, if you do that, then you have a chance of actually fighting up against uh, this ingrained habit because when the emotions start to rise, as they do with anxiety or tilt issues, for example, that rise in emotions shuts down higher brain function. You cannot um, fight against the, this sort of functional reality of the brain. All you can do is understand that it exists and do your best to avoid that kind of tripwire from happening. Because if the emotions rise too high, your ability to be like muscularly strong, mentally strong, diminishes greatly. It's, it's the equivalent of, uh, let's say, you're bench pressing uh, weight at the gym. You know, those first few reps are easy, but you get to those last couple, and they're incredibly, incredibly hard. That's the difference. When you're in a good mental frame of mind, you have the ability to mentally control or, or react to things better than you can when the emotions are super high, which would be the equivalent of, of being kind of physically fatigued at the end of a rep. So, so recognition is number one to build that skill. Uh, number two, when you actually recognize something, you're going to take a couple deep breaths. Now, the couple deep breaths is not a kumbaya, let's feel good, <laughs> let's get relaxed kind of thing. The deep breath is the equivalent of you getting up from the poker table and, and giving yourself a break, except you're going to do it uh, you're going to take a couple of deep breaths because you don't want to give away information to your opponents that says you're pissed off. <laughs> you want to be able to <laughs> kind of mentally take a step back from that initial reaction and kind of collect yourself. Now, you can think about that as being the equivalent of you know, one of those last few reps where you actually kind of slow down and kind of gather yourself to really push hard and, and finish that rep. And in this case, the rep, the pushing, is what I call injecting logic. Now, injecting logic is a really fancy term for thinking. It's the technique around thinking about the right things. Because if you make a mistake and you get pissed off about it and you say, what an effing idiot I am, then that thinking has done a very successful thing, which is made you more angry. So what you're trying to do is have your thoughts actually help to correct the reason why you got upset about that mistake in the first place. So, for example, and this is where a lot of the personalization comes in, an injecting logic statement around a mistake might be, well, mistakes happen. Mistakes happen to Phil Ivey. They happen to Jason Mercier. They happen to every top player. So why can't I accept it? You know, I'm, I'm human. So, again, it's not like a cure uh, in that moment, but what you're trying to do is, is just kind of chip away some of that emotion. Um, so you can kind of mentally gather yourself again and, and get back to doing what you need to do, which is focusing on quality play. So when he, moves, is, when he moves away from the table, he shouldn't be screaming at the top <laughs> of his lungs. <laughs> that, would, that would be, well... <laughs> I mean, he's going to, he's going to take some deep breaths. He shouldn't be moaning and uh, yelling, right? 
And exactly. Jared, let me because let me tell you now. When you mentioned that that last comment you made, it, it, it almost like lit a light bulb over my head. Where it, it it's almost like you've got to learn to forgive yourself for making these errors and taking the emotion out of it. Like you said, when you make a mistake, instead of sitting there going, "What an idiot I am," and you know, I can't believe I just made this stupid mistake. You know, beginner mistake. It's just say, "Hey, these things kind of happen." And you know, separate yourself from the emotion so that so that it doesn't consume you. That way, it won't you know it won't affect your play at the table. Correct? Exactly, exactly. Because what what happens for most players is if you if you say what an idiot I am, then what do you do? You make a bigger mistake. And you try to prove it correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and you're and and you're successful at it for one simple reason: you've created more emotion. More emotion has shut down your brain even more. So now, when you're actually reading the situation, you're you're bat, you're worse at it. So of course you're going to make a worse decision. So so it becomes kind of a self-feeding, self-perpetuating problem because you haven't done the work to fight against your own issues. And so that's that's where th- this becomes a, about a, a, about being a like a muscle, where where you, you, to create that mental toughness in a sense, to create that mental strength. You have to be the one holding on to the idea that, yeah, it's okay that I made a mistake. And and using that to actually fight against the idea that, no, you're an idiot because you made that mistake. No, you're not. I mean, it's, it is that mental battle. Now, over time, you're retraining the fundamental ideas that you have about mistakes. So a month from now, when you get into a similar situation, having fought really hard, uh, in those those little battles and prepared yourself ahead of time that a month from now you don't react with the same level of intensity you know you may still think it but it goes away pretty quickly you're like that's ridiculous like you know I, I, I made a small mistake here it's not a big deal like all of a sudden it, it starts to become more habitual for you to think that way and that's how you know that you're actually solving the problem because the emotional reaction is going away right uh, I think one of the cornerstones of your uh Measuring progress and that sort of thing is in uh, creating a paper trail, writing a lot of these things down. And I think that's probably where I would fail. Uh, and I guess that all comes into determining if you're ready for this type of instruction. But uh, one of the things you do say is to write down your goals, uh, have a bunch of things written down that when you go back to them each day and refer to them, they're going to help you. Now, uh, what about the person that's kind of lazy and does it for a while and then, the, and then ends up just saying, well, you know, why am I writing all this down? I can remember that. You know, Dave, I, I was, I, I've been really, really impressed with, with your feedback and, and the questions you've been asking. And I was, I was honestly thinking, like, wow, you're a really good student. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that. I'm like, ah. Well, I don't know if I have the desire to, uh, to work that hard at it if I ever got to that. But, uh, so, you know, so that would be probably my downfall. Well, but is it, though? I mean, I think maybe it's the tension between what you think you should do and what is practical. Because you've got to be fair. I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is, like, if you want to create a paper trail you can do it in as little as one minute a day okay it doesn't take a lot of work i think people sometimes look at you know my suggestions in the book and and think that it has to be this huge thing like they look at a warm-up and they say oh my god i'm going to spend an an hour warming up i'm like no take two minutes take one minute do whatever is practical just do something because when you start to do something then it becomes easier to do more if you have more time if you're doing nothing going from nothing to something that's hard Going from something to a little bit more, that's easy. So, so my, my, my point is that uh, when, when people are generally lazy about it, they have conflicting motivations. And, and sometimes those conflicting motivations are that it, it's really not I – I really don't believe it's about laziness. I think sometimes there's expectations, and those expectations conflict with, with really what's practical. And, okay. and, and I always defer to do what works for you. Just find the simplest thing that you can do. Uh, to make work because I'm not I'm not exaggerating. One minute a day, or one minute five days a week, whenever you're thinking or, or, or discussing poker, is far better than doing one hour a month because it becomes more consistent. And the consistency is where you get stability, and stability is where you'll learn a lot more efficiently. Uh, as we head to the World Series of Poker, obviously that schedule coming out today uh, brings it to the forefront of our mind, how close it is just around the corner once again. Uh, you have an article about preparing 
for a huge event like that that's obviously going to be mentally draining. Uh, tell, give us a couple of thoughts now, three months out, what people should do to be getting ready for that. Number one, understand your weaknesses. Because you're going to get into a situation where you're under pressure, or you want to be in a situation where you're under pressure, because it's the late stages, it's the bubble, it's final table, it's against a big, big name player. Uh, and it's those pressure-packed moments where your weaknesses will come out. And if you don't know what they are, they're going to come out, and they're going to destroy your, your, your goals, your dreams of, of winning something. So if you understand them, it doesn't guarantee that you are going to be successful, but you're at least going to have a chance. So, so really work hard, number one, to understand them, and number two, to start improving them. Do not, do not, do not start like completely changing your game uh, because when you're under pressure, you're going to revert back to your weaknesses and, and you're going to lose a lot of that information. And it happens so often where players kind of cram and then they end up having too much information in their head, they get lost, and then all of a sudden their weaknesses come out and they have no solutions for them. So number one is, is, is uh, to do that. Number two... Uh, I would set some goals and really think about what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, if you're going to go out there and play, you know, a handful of big tournaments, uh, really uh, think about like what you need to do from a technical level uh, to get prepared uh, for that. And uh, I, I'm sorry, not not a technical, a, a mental level, because uh, if you're talking about playing in, you know, two, three, four day, maybe even the main event, seven day events, do you need to work on your endurance? Because if you're only playing four or five hours a day, you know, or you're playing smaller, you know, sit and goes or single table tournaments or uh, uh, tournaments that are lasting just a, uh, you know half the amount of time, the the World Series of Poker is an incredible grind. You're playing two hour levels, and and you're playing twelve hours a day. That is mentally taxing. And if you're going to want to be successful, uh, you're going to need to be successful in the late stages, uh, and you know the pros are the ones that have an advantage because they are so well conditioned for that. Uh, so you really want to start actually trying to push yourself to play more poker now. You don't have to, you know, play a lot more, but you've got to put in some 10, 12 hour sessions um, and and really become more comfortable in being able to do that. Right. I certainly would invite people to go to your site, check it out. You obviously have some packages uh, of instruction for sale. You have your books for sale, and you have several articles where people can see if they can relate to the stuff that you talk about. I mean, like you say, some people aren't ready. Other people uh, just say to themselves, uh, why would I pay for that? I, that's just <laughs> something I should know or something I can pick up. But the truth is, uh, the guidance is necessary out there to be successful. And when you get a couple of big, nice poker paydays, uh, reinvesting in yourself is a very important aspect. Uh, agreed entirely. I mean, and and not everybody has the goals to to kind of warrant, you know, paying for individual coaching, and that's. You know, it was a big motivation for me writing the books because, you know, for 30 bucks, you can, you can get a, a lot of advice that would, you know, often cost, uh, you know, a thousand dollars. So, um, you know, individual coaching makes things more efficient, uh, but only for people who are willing to do the work. And as you said, uh, there are a lot of articles, um, you know, available for free. Um, I give away a lot of stuff, a lot of information because, uh, frankly, it's it's a chance for me to uh, show people kind of where I come from, and and also uh, I actually learn a lot from getting feedback from that information. So well, well I hope I hope our there, people so. out there uh, learned a lot tonight, and certainly there's uh, many uh, places to take this to the next level. Uh, I had a few other questions, but we'll save it for another time. Uh, one was on multi-tabling, uh, the article you wrote about that, and for a long time we really didn't maybe need that sort of thing since a lot of people weren't playing online but now that it's returning to this country and uh, we're making it, uh, progress certainly in uh, getting a chance to play in our own homes uh, and uh, you know what America's all about and that's the freedom to do the kind of things we yeah, want. Exactly. So finally, so you must be thrilled about that that at least the poker world seems to be advancing uh, certainly. There are there are glimmers of hope and it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, we know when politicians can start to get out of our way, it's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. thing too. Well, you gave us an hour. I really appreciate that. I could do two more for sure, but uh, we'll save it for another time. Well, thanks so much. Uh, well, that was a great time, and uh, I learned a lot. Joe so did, learned a lot. So did I, Jared. Thank you so much. Excellent, excellent. And, and we'll I'm glad to hear it, guys, and it's uh, enjoyed talking to you. And as I said, Dave. Uh, 
you guys really you, you did your homework and uh, and you you have the potential of being a fantastic student. Well, thanks. <laughs> if I get out to the World Series this year, I'll definitely look you up. Uh, look forward to meeting you in the future. Sounds great, guys. Okay. Take care, yeah. Jared. Bye bye. Uh, Jared Tendler, the mental Man, was side great. of that poker. Was great. One of that our was best actually shows, I gotta say. great. Great. The time has flown by. That advice that he gave was. Let me tell you, for the poker players out there, our listeners that are, I'm sure they they, they smiled when they heard that. Well, I, I, I'm going to give people a word of advice. If you're you just like, I don't want to spend money on that. You know, well, I, I need that stuff. I mean, you could buy the book for thirty dollars, but the, there's a thing on his site where if you have never been involved with Audible.com, which is a place where you can purchase. Uh, audiobooks. You put them in your car and listen to them on your drive to work every day or if you're taking a trip. If you sign up for Audible, you get uh, you get like a uh, certain amount of credits for free to get started and you can actually select his book as part of that uh, package when you start there. So actually, you could do it for free. Uh, certainly, it's worth well, the money you pay. So let me tell uh, you don't have the attitude that uh, I can't spend money on this sort of thing, especially if you're a professional poker player. And you want to be a, a stud at it. Now, let me tell you something. I came into this, you know, as a little bit of a skeptic, you know, along the lines that you've mentioned as to how some people will think. You know, and Jared's, you know, his demeanor of talking about this, having the intelligence to start understanding this, because like you said, sometimes poker players are too smart for their own good. Right. They, they right. don't think Absolutely. they need the help, as you mentioned. And yet, you know, he diagnosed something that I did just the other day, you know, where I made a bonehead play online, cost me, I, I, I came two spots out of the bubble, but I had so many chips that I didn't think it was even an issue, and because of a stupid bonehead play that I made, and I kept beating myself up over that. And, you know, what, what a coincidence that his advice on the question that I asked him was, hey, listen, learn to say, hey, Phil Ivey makes mistakes, Phil Helmuth makes mistakes, Jason makes mistakes. So we're human, we're going to make those mistakes. And, you know, I didn't lie to him when I said the light bulb went on over my head to where I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to attack this. And, and I relate this to when I used to have issues losing all-in battles. And uh, I, I mentioned it many years ago on the show where, you know, uh, Howard, I believe it was Howard Lederer in an article that I read, stated that you can't beat yourself up over those situations if you know you got your money in with the best of it. Sometimes it's, you know, the the guy hits a one-outer on you. Sometimes it's a 60-40 edge for you. You know, the the thing is, his his theory was he didn't, he didn't, you know, if you're not getting your money in always with the worst of it, which means more than likely you're going to come out feeling the worst of it, that you can't, you know, hey, that's just the poker gods. That's how the hand played out. But kind of pat yourself on the back that you played the hand the way it was supposed to be played. The yeah, results didn't absolutely. turn out the way you wanted to. And this is the same kind of concept with that is, hey, this one is not that you made the right. Hey, I made a mistake. Get over it. Move on to the next one. Right. And try to try to separate the, the emotional side of it. And, and that's something that I'm going to now have a really good chance at working at. Well, I think people should check out the site, Jared Tendler, J-A-R-E-D, Tendler, like tender with an L in it, uh, poker.com. Uh, don't get alarmed at the prices because, uh, you know, you're really paying to improve yourself over a long term. you got, uh, for instance, uh, just looking at the site, a one-hour consultation for a new client, $425, uh, $2150 for eight hours of instruction, which is going to be going to change your your game for sure uh and people but, are people out there paying thirty five hundred dollars to get into a tournament so it's really nothing when you're when you're talking about long-term well like jared said if you're you're going to get out of it what you put into absolutely it. and if you don't go in there with an open mind of saying hey this gentleman is going to show me different ways to look at the same thing mm -hmm. and that way i can comprehend things a little bit differently because if you're going to them, that means something is not working in your game, in your lifestyle, in the, at the poker tables. So you, you've taken that first step to, to try to improve that. Now you just got to make sure that you go in with the open mind and take out of it. I say, I call, I you know, I, I relate this almost to going to poker trading schools where they teach you how the game. 
not everybody's technique is going to work for you. You've got to take and choose out of it what makes feel, you feel very comfortable. And I'm sure the same thing happens with a lot of what Jared tries to teach his clients. Some of it they're going to feel very comfortable with adjusting and changing their lifestyle to. But you have to pick and choose and make the effort. And if you're one of those players that's going to be playing in the World Series this summer out in Vegas, a great article that you can look at on the site, World Series of Poker Prep, Avoid the Biggest Mental Mistakes. Just start there with some of the articles. Maybe pick up a copy of the book and decide if this is for you. But uh, to me, uh, just realizing that you can be helped by Jared is the first huge step. And that's going to do it for tonight's edition of Poker Action Line our best of 2019 year-ending shows that we put together to uh, take a look back at some of the great interviews that we've done in the past. Our thanks to uh, Jared Tenner, of course, <laughs> not putting any time into it now, but years ago he spent a good deal of time with us, and we do appreciate that. Uh, next week we'll have another show for you. Maybe go back to uh, the beginning of the One Drop Tournament talk about some of that we'll see what happens we'll put it together and we'll bring it to you at the end of 2019 we hope everybody has a great holiday season and a happy new year and we look forward to being back with you with a new show the first week of january the views and opinions of the hosts guests or callers are not necessarily those of the station its owners advertisers or agencies 